So, reading today from Canto 3, chapter 31, text 38. And kind of the idea for today is because it's a special holiday, the appearance day of a great teacher in Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Goswami, who is Srila Prabhupada's teacher. And so today is his, uh, what we call appearance day, which is like uh, the birthday, but it's, it's, we understand that with great souls. It's not in the uh, same sense of, of taking birth as, as ordinary living entities, where ordinary living entities are bound by karma, they're forced to take birth. Great souls who are, who are liberated from the bodily conception of life, liberated from the, the modes or the kind of um, uh, colors of nature that bind all of us, right? they're freed from those modes and, and bindings, from those ropes, so they actually appear in order to bring about some uh, great mercy to the living entities of this material world. So, we'll read a little bit from this verse. From this verse, then transition into uh, hearing a little bit about Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, uh, which I had a privilege of uh, Bhagavad Palpur who let me, or lent me this book uh, last night so I could prepare for class. And I, uh, what, what, what initially started as a, as a prep for class became a lost myself for about an hour and a half and just getting absorbed in, in these amazing accounts. Um, so, yeah, we'll go from there. So, Sanskrit word-for-word -word translations. Bala, the strength. Me, my. Hasha, behold. Mayaya, of Maya. Stri Maya, in the shape of a woman. Jainaha conquers. Disham of all directions. Ya who Kurati makes. Paraakrantan following at her heels. Bruvi of her eyebrows. Drimbena by the movement. Kevala, merely. Sanskrit. Balame Paishamaya, Stri Maya Jaino Jaino Disham, Yakaroti Padakantam, Ruvi Jimhena Kevalam, Balame Paishamaya. Srimaya Jainodisham, Srimaya Jainodisham, 
Yakuruti Padak Krantan Yakuruti Padak Krantan Bhuvi Jimhen Kevalam Bhuvi Jimhen Kevalam Please chant. Can keep even the greatest conquerors of the world under her grip. 
There are many instances in the history of the world of a great conqueror's being captivated by the charms of a Cleopatra. One has to study the captivating potency of a woman and a man's attraction for that potency. From what source was this generated? According to Vedanta Sutra, we can understand that everything is generated from the Supreme Personality of Godhead. It is enunciated there, Janmadisayataha. This means that the Supreme Personality of Godhead, or the Supreme Person, Brahman, the Absolute Truth, is the source from whom everything emanates. Can anyone uh, prove that to me by a verse from Bhagavad Gita? That, yeah, that's Bhagavatam, but from Gita. From Bhagavad Gita. Yes. Uh, is there a mic? Okay, what is it? Nice. Can you give a summation? Krishna says, I am the source of all spiritual and material worlds. Everything emanates from me. And the wise who know this perfectly engage in my service and worship me with all their hearts. Spot on. There we go. Uh, okay. So, it's true. Krishna is the source of all things. The captivating power of a woman and a man's susceptibility to such attraction must also exist in the Supreme Personality of God in the spiritual world and must be represented in the transcendental passions of the Lord. The Lord is the Supreme Person, the Supreme Male. As a common male wants to be attracted by a female, that propensity similarly exists in the Supreme Personality of God. He also wants to be attracted by the beautiful features of a woman. Now the question is, if he wants to be captivated by such a womanly attraction, would he be attracted by any material woman? It is not possible. Even persons who are in this material world, material existence, can give up womanly attraction if they are attracted by the beautiful Supreme Brahman. Such was the case with Haridas Thakur. Yesterday was mentioned right this past time with Haridas Thakur, where, and Prabhupada's mentioning here, where a beautiful prostitute tried to attract him in the dead of night. But since he was situated in devotional service and transcendent the love of Godhead, Haridastakura is not captivated. Rather, he turned the prostitute into a great devotee by his transcendental association. This material attraction, therefore, certainly cannot attract the Supreme Lord when he wants to be attracted by a woman. He had oh, excuse me, cannot this material attraction, therefore, certainly cannot attract the Supreme Lord. When he wants to be attracted by a woman, he has to create such a woman from his own energy. That woman is Radharani. It is explained by the Goswamis that Radharani is the manifestation of the pleasure potency of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. When the Supreme Lord wants to derive transcendental pleasure, he has to create a woman from his internal potency. Thus, the tendency to be attracted by womanly beauty is natural because it exists in the spiritual world. In the material world, it is reflected pervertedly and therefore there are so many inebriates. Instead of being attracted to the, by material beauty, if one is accustomed to be attracted by the beauty of Radharani and Krishna, then the statement of Bhagavad Gita, Param Drishwanivartate, holds true. This statement, uh, can anyone give a translation of that statement? Param Drishwanivartate. Bakahara is from the back. Bakahara is correct. 
traps trying to catch this wabbit, right? So it was it was the the, the type of potency of of Maya when it comes into this realm of I can enjoy something and how bewilders a living entity, and so. Prabhupada poses this really powerful question, from what source is this generated? Yeah. He goes on to explain that everything is coming from Krishna ultimately. And so one can look at, okay, because Kapiladev is saying, my maya, he says, balam ne paisha maya, one should observe the strength of my illusory energy. Right. And yesterday, when uh, Sunuri was mentioning this, this principle, that Prabhupada said, how when a pure lady sees a tree, Right? They don't just see the tree, they say, okay, that's Krishna's energy. And then immediately they remember Krishna. Right? So it's this way in which that the devotee practices being able to see everything in relationship with Krishna, including the maya that they may find themselves face to face with. Right? So our David Mato, he always says that, that here in the material world we're uh, working on our God project. Right? We're really just trying to imitate Krishna here in this material world. That's the idea. The material world is a place where I can pretend that I am the center of attraction, I am the center of attention, I am the center and I'm the, I'm the source of all things, and I'm the enjoyer. Right? Whereas this is diametrically opposed to our reality. It's diametrically opposed to the real situation in the spiritual world. Krishna creates this place in order that we have a place where we can try and play that reality out, right? So then, then this goes back to the idea of Om Sarvastipada Vod. Krishna, everything is emanating from Krishna, right? including this tendency to be attracted by the beauty of, of women. In other words, in order to be attracted to enjoy right? all living entities in this material world, men and women, are seeking enjoyment. That's the nature of the living entity. But when we apply that tendency to matter, right, it becomes very dangerous. And so this is what this is what Prabhupada's pointing out, that, that all of these things are coming from Krishna. So Krishna is also wanting to enjoy. He's also wanting to be attracted. He is a supreme male. We're technically all living entities, male and female in this material world. They're all prakriti. They're, they're energy of the Lord. That Krishna is actually really the only male or the, the discursive energy, that all living entities were, were this property. Right? So, Krishna being the supreme male, he wants to be attracted by a female, and that propensity similarly exists. Or, yes, excuse me, the living entity wants to be attracted by a female, but that original propensity comes from Krishna. Now, the question is, Prabhupada says, if he wants to be captivated by such womanly attractions, would he be attracted by any material woman? It's not possible, Prabhupada says. I am bewildered by Krishna's energy. I am attracted by Krishna's energy. And as we hear in the Bhagavatam and the Tenth right? why am I attracted to Krishna's energy? Because it's Krishna's energy. That's Krishna makes anything attractive. Krishna's the only reason that anything is attractive is because it, it's coming from Krishna. When my mind takes that and perverts it into, into something different, right, that's when we get into the, 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 the mud of Maya, of Maya, rather. Right? But anything is attractive because it's coming from Krishna. Whereas Krishna, he's actually attracted by his own energy. 
And currently I'm, I'm attempting to uh, memorize uh, Sri Bhagavan Samhita. And uh, so 537. Anandachinmaya Goloka Evaniva Satyakilatma Bhutto Govinda Mari Purusham Tamananda Jami So in this verse, uh, Lord Brahma is expressing, because it's interesting, Lord Brahma, I was thinking as I was reading this verse, like Brahma, and I'm wondering chronologically when this, uh, when this situation happened, because we hear, did, does anyone know actually chronologically, so Brahma Samhita is, is pretty much right, it's the first thing that he realizes and speaks. Right? And then he starts in this process of creation where this, this whole incident occurred. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, but Lord Brahma says in this, in this verse, he's describing this principle that, that Krishna is not attracted to the, to the mundane energy as, as we're attracted. He, he's, he's not uh, captivated by it. Rather, he says, I worship Govinda, the primeval Lord, residing in his own realm, Goloka, with Radha, resembling his own spiritual figure, the embodiment of ecstatic potency possessed of the 64 artistic activities, in her company of her confidence, Sakis, embodiments of the extensions of her bodily form, permeated and vitalized by his ever-blissful spiritual rasa. It's not the mundane energy that Krishna is being attracted to, actually he's being attracted by his own energy. So, therefore, because living entities are, are very uh, susceptible to being uh, captivated, right, then we have so much vitality rules and, and regulations and, and society is set up in such a way that, that we're, we're primed for success, right? And today being the appearance that Shiva Bhaktivedanta Saraswati Thakur, there's, there's different pastimes where Shiva Bhaktivedanta Saraswati Thakur uh, he had female disciples, right? and even if they were, you know, in their sixties, he would not meet with his female disciples alone. Right? It's describing there's one section in here which uh, I want to read a little bit from. It's describing um, Shula Bhaktivedanta because one could take verses like this and say, oh well, you know, women are horrible and, and women are this and that. Right? But we understand also for women, men is that object of of my is it any it's when living entities have this idea that I want to enjoy something. Right? And it's not to be not to be caught up in, in my material designation because I'm this or that that I can then uh, lord it over in another way by knowledge. So this is a section uh, about in Sri Bhaksananta by Bhav about about his his uh, view and his interactions with women. So, as an example of sannyasi and, and acharya, Shri Siddhanta Saraswati had, was particularly strict in his dealings with women. He would meet female di- dis- disciples only if they were accompanied by their husband and or son. He tended to deal with women formally rather than affectionately, even, even if they were his uh, shishas or disciples or relatives. Nonetheless, some, sometimes he gave extensive personal instructions to female devotees by letter. So, there's a, he had one disciple, B.L. Uh, Kapoor, O.B.L. Kapoor. And his wife, 
was a disciple of Sri Saraswati Thakur, requested to speak alone with him. Although old enough to be your grandfather, he refused. He said, whatever you have to say, you may say in the company of others. And when Sri Nafar Chandra Paul Chaudhuri once brought his 60-year-old mother-in-law to meet with Sri Saraswati Thakur, she was turned back and says, Mother, stay downstairs. Send your son to meet me. So he was, he was exemplifying very, a very strict regard. Right? We hear this about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was, was very strict in this regard, right? Because the, the integrity of the Sannyas Ashram, which was the platform from which Sri Bhaktivedanta Thakur was preaching from, as was Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Depended upon it, right? He was, he was, he was doing everything for this higher purpose, and also for this purpose of protection. This something, this was something uh, very, very powerful for me that I read. So, privately among my disciples, Shiva Saraswati Thakur sometimes referred to the devious characteristics of the feminine nature, as described in the Shastra or in the Scripture. It was not that he was against womankind, for he expounded on the spiritual equality of all living beings, whatever their outward covering, admonishing that to overly harp on the dangers of Sri Sangha might increase rather than decrease the fascination for womanly charms. Right? So going back to this principle, an excessive tendency to uh, to avoid or to decry, right, could just be a sign of attachment. Right? That that hatred is just the other form of attachment in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says. The other side. So furthermore, he clarified that scriptural norms prescribing gender segregation did not constitute a blanket indictment of females, but rather of the perverted mentality prevalent in the world. So this is really uh, this is really powerful, and then I'll, I'll, we'll get some reflections on a point that Bhaktivedanta Saraswati makes. He says, Sannyasis and brahmacharis are forbidden to see women, yet it is not intelligent to, on that basis, think badly of all femininity. What is meant by, quote, seeing women, end quote, is judging them as objects of sense perception. Excuse me, sense enjoyment. That kind of seeing is reprehensible. There is no fault in the phenomenon, but in the attitude or behavior toward it. There is nothing bad in all the diversity of the world, yet misuse of its objects is blameworthy. If the varieties of the world are engaged in serving Bhagavan, that is quite acceptable. So, I want to ask, as a kind of a, just as a thought-provoking idea, what, Srila Bhaktivedanta Saraswati is mentioning this idea of objectification. Right, that he's saying to see women is not necessarily just a phenomenon of, I'm, my eyes are, you know, picking up light particles that are, you know, reflecting off of female person, right? He's saying it's actually the attitude towards it, right? And it's this attitude of objectification. So what, what does objectification make convenient in this material world? When we objectify, what does that make convenient in this material world? Yes? Disdain? Disdain. Right? You can kind of just write something off because I'm, I'm, I'm objectifying it. It's just an opti- op- op- object and I don't have to care about it. Okay, totally. What else does it make convenient in this material world? 
makes it easy to be impersonal yeah. uh, to acknowledge the personal aspect of another human being. Yeah, yeah, it takes away that that the responsibility of, of treating someone with respect, also kind of like having disdain. But yeah, you, you, it's easier to just make impersonal. Okay, what else? What is made convenient by objectification? Yes. Lustful desires. Yeah, totally. There's a way in which that I, it, objectification automatically incites enjoyment. Right? That I can take this thing and enjoy it. And no one's going to stop me because objects don't object. Right? So, yeah, what else? There, there's a few more things. Yes, Mother Nidra. Yeah, totally. It, it, it's going back to this disdain and this type of uh, the way in which it degrades consciousness. We can just we abuse objects because there's nothing that there's not really a repercussion for if I you know if I just take a rock and I throw it on the ground. It's just an object. It's not going to do anything. What else? Yeah. The feeling of possessiveness, like greed, like this is mine. Totally. Right, so he's describing that, that it's, it's not the, it's, it's the mentality, right? It's because, because naturally my mentality in this material world is that I'm going to objectify the things of this material world. Why? Because I've done that to Krishna. Right? This has been something that I'm really trying to like flesh out and work out because uh, hearing different perspectives psychologically just about the way that objectification, how it uh, facilitates the mistreatment of, of other living entities, right? Where does that originate from, right? It facilitates the mistreatment of, of the world in general, right? How do we just exploit the world's resources, right? Because we objectify these things and it facilitates that exploitation. Where does that come from? It comes from my original objectification of Krishna. I have denied Krishna the personality that he that he is the source of. Right? Learning and uh, taking an ancient Greek philosophy class right now. And it's uh it's interesting. I think it's gonna be helpful to kind of have like an understanding of the perspective, but at the same time there's it's uh it's a bit trying at times because of how much speculation. Um, in this book, uh, Dr. Kashmir was just talking about the use of language that Sri Bhaktisiddhanta would use. He, he, he was a masterful, uh, he had masterful control over the English language, the Bengali language, Sanskrit language, I mean, he was just a genius, a savant in so many ways. But it talks specifically about how he would uh, take English and he would redefine some of the words, right? Because philosophy has come to kind of mean this, this mental you know, activity of speculation, right? Not founded or based in really anything of, of higher knowledge, right? And so he redefined it as, as in, in Greek, and actually, you know, the meaning of it, the love of knowledge. It's 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 a type of it's a type of surrender or submission. That this is real philosophy. Philosophy is not that I 
that I just use knowledge or I, or I, I, I grab or I objectify knowledge, right? But there's actually a love of knowledge. And what does love mean? There's service. Right? So I mean, he would redefine words like this. But anyway, in this class, this ancient Greek philosophy class, there's just so much speculation. Because it's not being founded in really anything. It's, you know, we have this, I, there's uh, Greek philosophers who have this idea of everything is atom and void. Everything is atoms and void. Right? It's just, it's just things in space. And it's like, okay, then what is, what is like defining those differences? What's making that dichotomy? Oh, it's news. It's this universal mind. Right? There's, in materialistic philosophy, there's just a, What's the word I want to want to use? Like, um, like a visceral like resistance to the idea of God being a person. Like, it's just a universal intelligence. It's just a universal mind. There's, there's not. We living entities are, are trying so hard in this material world to avoid the fact, the responsibility of of not only themselves being persons, but then. God being a person, right? It's, it's, it's frightening because if that's there, if God's a person, then there's, there, I have some responsibility. I have some uh, obligation to respond, right? Whereas I don't have to respond to a wall, aside from maybe like not walking to it, right? I don't have to respond to it. So anyway, um, yeah, the object, yes. It's a mutual agreement. What is? That God isn't a person. That God isn't a person. Yeah, that, that the, the world in general says, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's, it's kind of taken for granted. Right? So then you, then you begin to see, like, uh, in, in a poem that Srila Prabhupada wrote for Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Goswami, right? On, on his appearance day, one year. It was, uh, the absolute is sentient, thou hast proved. Right, Mother Parmesha quotes this a lot. That the absolute is sentient, thou hast proved, right? Impersonal calamity, thou hast moved or removed, right? So you see how revolutionary a principle like personalism is in a world where it is mutually accepted by people in general. Oh, yeah. God's this energy, can't really know him or it or whatever, right? Because the whole function of this material world is so I can come here and enjoy. And that's originally coming. It's, it's, it's what happens when we try to imitate Krishna. Right, so I want to take, uh, if there are any reflections or questions at this moment, and then we can talk a little bit about Srinivaksaranta, Sarasvati Thakur, a little bit more read about uh, his advent and, and things of that nature. So any questions or reflections? Yes. I had a question about the purport. Um, if I remember correctly, Prabhupada says that um, Krishna cannot be attracted to a material woman, therefore he has to create one out of his own energy to mm-hmm. feel that sort of attraction, and that being is Radharani. But if I also understand correctly, Krishna has like 16,000 wives in his spiritual castle, in his spiritual uh, home, if you will, mm-hmm. that tend to his every need. So if he already has so many wives looking after him and, and feeling that sort of attraction towards him, why does he need to create another one? If 
he's already got 60,000 lovers who mm-hmm. really care for him and want him and he feels reciprocation and desire for them. Mm-hmm. Why does he need to be like another more significant one? As in being Radharani? Yes. Okay, so that's a good, yeah, good question. So in this verse that we read from Brahma Samhita, um, Brahma is establishing, he's asserting the reality that, that Ishvara Paramakrishna, so that, that the original form of Godhead right, is Krishna in Goloka Vrindavan, Goloka Evanivasachitilatma Bhutto. And that in Vrindavan, Krishna Govinda, he's tending to the cows, he's the cause of all causes. Right? In Vrindavan, Radharani is the Adi Shakti, the original expansion, right? So then this verse is saying, um, residing in his own realm Goloka with Radha, resembling his own spiritual figure. In other words, they're, they're um, I just heard a really nice, yeah, they're, they're, they're not different. So the embodiment of ecstatic potency possessed of the 64 artistic arts, and then in the company of her confidants, or sakis, embodiments of the extensions of her bodily form, right? So all these queens of Dwarka are extensions of Srimati Radharani. As are, all, as are Lakshmi, as are all the other goddesses. Actually, every, every Shakti, every energy, every goddess is emanating originally from Srimati Radharani. So just as Krishna is the fountainhead of all incarnations, Srimati Radharani is the fountainhead of all Shaktis. Like that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's not that Krishna felt incomplete. It's saying that uh, you know, some people dance in order to be happy. Some people dance because they are happy. So Krishna is not expanding his enjoyment in order to be fulfilled, but his enjoyment is expanding because he's already fulfilled. He's already completely perfect. Did that answer your question? Cool. Any other reflections or questions? Yes. I just wanted to share purport of the 11th canto. Uh, this morning, and just on this point of how we're trying to be God, basically. Uh, so the disciples of Sri Prabhupada write, Although love of Krishna is the most exquisite ecstasy, surpassing by millions of times the most intense pleasure of the material universe, we foolishly break off our loving affair with the Supreme Lord and artificially try to become independent enjoyers in the material atmosphere of self-delusion and false pride. Do that last part one more time. Yeah, so we, we foolishly break off our loving affair with the Supreme Lord and artificially try to become independent enjoyers in the material atmosphere of self delusion and false pride. Mm. Just like how it was framed. Yeah. False pride. This is the most exquisite ecstasy, but we foolishly just. No, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a term hubris. Right, where there's just so much pride that actually leads to our downfall. Right, so I'm so proud that I can try and be separate and cut off my relationship with Krishna, but actually I just get entangled, as this, as this whole chapter has been really describing in, in vivid detail. I get entangled in, in, in uh, the, the gnashing of teeth, right? So like in the 11th canto, Krishna's universal form is... Mm-hmm. I remember Madhavan before he always used to do this face when uh, he described that I love Kanta, but Krishna's, you know, heads being smashed between his teeth, right? The power of time, how it's just destroying humanity is like anything. 
So yeah, uh, due, to, due, to my, due to my false pride, I'm, I'm here trying to enjoy separately from Krishna. There's one other section that I, uh, as I was listening to, I'm, I'm going through the, an audio book of the Bhagavatam now, and I'm in the first Kinto chapter 9, so it's the instructions of Bhishmadev. So right here we have this beautiful picture of Bhishmadev on the bed of arrows, right? Impelled by so many arrows that actually he, he wasn't on the ground, he was elevated by these arrows. And still, in this position, Prabhupada was saying how uh, he was in such a horrible position, and Maharaj said, my dear grandfather, please instruct me in the principles of Dharma and religion. And the one Prabhupada said, one may say, what an inappropriate thing to ask someone like who's on the bed of arrows. It's very inappropriate. But at the same time, Maharaj was implored by Krishna to ask this question because Krishna wanted to glorify and show that even his devotees are in the most suffering, abominable conditions, still sound in mind, sound in consciousness. And we see this in Sri Prabhupada's own example. And not to not to track off too much, but Srila Prabhupada, at the, at the very end of his pastimes, right, being so emaciated that practically the skin was touching his bone. Doctors would say, doctors said, there's no way that this person should be conscious, let alone still alive, because of the pain of, of the nerves and the bone just being, being pressed against each other. Right? Just extremely... But then you read these, these, the purports of the Ten Canto that Srila Prabhupada, these last purports that Srila Prabhupada gave, and how sound, and in some of the best purports in the Ten Canto there. Yes? Uh, Mike, get over Mike. Well, I get a, I get a hurry, but uh, I was wondering, in the purport, it says that... Uh, the Supreme Lord cannot, uh, this material attraction, therefore, certainly cannot attract the Supreme Lord. Mm. When he wants to be attracted by a woman, he has to create such a woman from his own energy. That woman is Radharani. Uh, I was wondering if you could speak about Prakrita Sahajya mm. and how Shri Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur was a very strong opponent of, and it seems like that's connecting in yeah. terms of people thinking that this material body can attract the Lord. Totally. There's, there's actually a really sweet little excerpt that I read, which is it's, um, quite charming. Um, so yeah, it's this... I was talking a little bit about... Oh, Bijmadev. So real quick, just to finish this point, then we'll, then we'll address the point that we're bringing up. So Bijmadev is giving, this, giving these instructions to Marjus who asks these questions. And in, some, in the course of his instructions, he, uh, he's instructing, uh, he gives some instructions about uh, the women, women class. He says, as far as women are concerned, Prabhupada's writing in the purport, they are accepted as a power of inspiration for men. As such, women are more powerful than men. Mighty Julius Caesar was controlled by a Cleopatra. Such powerful women are controlled by shyness. Therefore, shyness is important for women. Once this control valve is loosened, women can create havoc in society by adultery. Adultery means production of unwanted children, known as Manashankara, who disturb the world. Right, so it comes to this point of, it's not uh, a matter of uh, ego control, right? It's a principle of, how do I situate myself in this material world that I, that I remove the illusion that this material world is meant for my enjoyment. 
So one way that that's perverted and, and misrepresented is, as Baba Prabhupada brought up, it's this idea of prakriti sahajas. Right? Sahaja means to be easily born. And I've heard one, one translation of it. So it's this idea that uh, I can just take something very cheaply and what, I, what I'm calling spiritual, the name of spiritual, it's actually just my material desires manifesting that. Right? And there's different ways in which Prakritasahajism um, appears. Essentially, Sri uh, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur appeared uh, in, on February 6, 1874 at 3.30 p.m. He appeared in Jagannath Puri, Orissa. I've been to their house uh, that Bhaktivinoda Thakur and his family, they were renting um, because they, they primarily, I think, lived in Kolkata, um, but then were also renting this house in Jagannathpuri, which is right on Grand Road, and they have a beautiful temple there now. And Sri Bhaktivinoda Saraswati Thakur was born right there, right on this Grand Road, right where the Rathayatra carts go down the street. So he appeared, uh, and it's, it's described how Sri Bhaktivinoda Thakur had essentially resurrected the Vaishnava culture. Because he was, at that time, Vaishnava was like a bad word. It was a word that meant degraded person, foolish person, low life. Right? And so Sri Bhaktivinoda revived this word, brought, brought, its back, brought it back to its original glory. Because he wrote this, he said, Lord Chaitanya did not invent himself to liberate only a few men in India. Rather, his main objective was to emancipate all living entities of all countries throughout the entire universe and to propagate the eternal dharma. Lord Chaitanya states in Sri Chaitanya Bhagavad, in every town, country, and village, my name will be sung. There is no doubt that this unquestionable order will come to pass. Although there is still no pure society of Vaishnavas, Lord Chaitanya's prophetic words will in a few days come true, I am sure. Why not? Nothing is absolutely pure in the beginning. From independence, purity will come about. That's really encouraging too, just about when. From, in, excuse me, I said in, independence, but from imperfection, purity will come about. Thank you. So, Bhaktivinoda uh, Thakur had this desire burning in his heart, so he prayed. And there's a beautiful book, I've yet to read it yet, but it's called The Ray of Vishnu. Right, where Bhaktivinoda Thakur is praying, My dear Lord, please send. A ray of your mercy, a ray of mission, right, in order to help me do this. Because he understood the gravity of it. And so, Bhima Prashad was then born. Uh, and, and it describes in here the, the lineage that he came from. And, and the, the fact that when he was born, his appearance, his, his, his bodily features, and, and his astrological, or his natal chart was just. Un, un, uh, what's the word? The the uh, the astrologer had never seen something so amazing in terms of his astrological chart. So from his very early childhood, uh, at five months old, the time of Lord Jagannath's Ratayatra, the annual festival attracting thousands and thousands of pilgrims, his father's house was situated along the parade route on Grand Road. And although the procession usually finished in a few hours, this time Lord Jagannath's cart stopped for three days outside the home of his dear devotee, Sri Bhaktivinoda Thakur. So normally they just take the cart and it goes right down the street. But this year, 
The cart stopped and would not move for three days in front of Bakhtinur Thakur's house. During that period, Sri Bakhtinur Thakur arranged for a continuous Sankirtan festival for the pleasure of Lord Jagannath. 48 hour Sankirtan. Taking advantage. No, no, four, no. What's 72 hour Sankirtan? 72 hour Harinam or Kirtan. Taking advantage of the auspicious opportunity, he directed his wife to bring her baby to the cart. Upon being placed at the lotus feet of Lord Jagannath, the infant reached out his tiny arms to touch the feet of the deity. Lord Jagannath immediately reciprocated by offering his own garland, which fell from his body and encircled the child. That same day, Bhima Prasad's Anaprasana, the uh, eating of first grains, was conducted with Jagannath Mahaprasad. Can you imagine? This child spontaneous, so then at that ceremony, he, uh, he, uh, he immediately went from the Srimad Bhagavatam. So he grew, he kept, he grew up and, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur was really interested that, that understanding that he uh, wanted his son to um, change the world with Vaishnavism, reach the higher echelons of society, reach people that were opposed to uh, the culture just kind of as an affront of their ego. Uh, so he, he sent him to uh, have a secular education. But all the while, while he was growing up, at this time, Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur was writing Chaitanya Shikshamrita. And so Bhaktivinoda Thakur would be writing Chaitanya Shikshamrita, and then he would read the manuscript and, and teach it to his children. And Bhima Prashad would, would hear Chaitanya Shikshamrita as it was being written. Can you imagine? So then, to this point that Bhagavad uh, Prabhupada was speaking of, at once, a reputed Babaji noticed that Bhimala had failed to pay him obeisances. The Babaji asked Sri Bhaktivinoda Thakur why this was so, and he told him, because he does not offer Dandavat to Sahajas. So, as I was reading this, I, I uh, was, it was dawned on me the, uh, the immensity of, of nectar that this one book contains, what to speak of the other two parts, um, and that there would be no way that I could, uh, could give, you know, credence to, uh, you know, fully explaining it. But, Srila Bhaktivedanta Saraswati Thakur, as, as uh, his father Bhaktivedanta Thakur, was setting the stage for what we now know as, as this worldwide movement of Christian consciousness being spread all over the world. They were the engineers, they were the, the foremen that actually created the foundation. Because otherwise, it had been taken over by Prakrita Sahajas, or people that had, had, had given the name of Vaishnavism, uh, degraded it to such a point that it was considered a bad word practically. That if you were Vaishnava, you were a low-life person. Okay. And Prakrita Sahajas uh, would, in this vein of, of uh, you know, Krishna, wants to enjoy it, and uh, so therefore um, we are going to become objects of his enjoyment. Sometimes they dress up like gopis. Um, a lot of times they just try to imitate Krishna's activities by then uh, claiming that, that this type of uh, illicit activity uh, is something spiritual, right? So having I mean, obscene and, and, and completely uh, degraded exhibitions of this type of exploitation and objectification. Right? So Srila Bhaktivedanta Saraswati Thakur was very, very hard on these 
uh, on these principles. Um, let me see, there's one section. Unfortunately, when, uh, when I was preparing, I did not uh, look at these specific sections on Prakritasadja. So I don't want to uh, waste time by trying to find them. Um, but ultimately, I, I remember one immediate past time when Gorky Shodas Babaji left this world, the, the guru of Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati. Um, at that time, Gorky Shodas Babaji actually only had one disciple. And it was Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati. And so, but all of these other Babajis, he was, you know, he was known amongst the Babajis, and all of these other Babajis wanted to take his body and then put, him, put his body in Samadhi and, and, and then make a temple in order to make money. Right? So, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Nakura, he was characterized by this, by this uh, powerful integrity in his own, in his own life and, and the powerful integrity that he. Uh, expected and brought out of others. And so in that, he was, uh, he then challenged these Babajis. He said, if any one of you, he said, you can take the body of, you know, of, of my spiritual master, if any one of you have not had any connection uh, or any illicit connection with uh, a woman in the past year, and people stood down and said, okay, in the past month, in the past week, and, and like this, he, he exposed the, the cheating that was going on in the name of, of renunciation. Right? In the name of renunciation, Prakadisa just take this idea of, of uh, Krishna being the enjoyer and trying to imitate that, and then they call it spiritual life. So Sri Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur was uh, starkly opposed to this, and, uh, and a, bit, a big part of his campaign was to Eradicate and uproot this misconception, this ill-advised type of uh, philosophy. So uh, we'll end there. It is a, a half-day fast. So if there are any uh, questions, uh, forgive my um, kind of the uh, abrupt ending. I'm feeling like there, there could be so much more that could be said. But if there are any uh, questions or comments or reflections, yes, my Nidra. So, you were reading and commenting upon uh, how Krishna takes shelter of his uh, own energy and how um, others take shelter in a perverted way, like the Sahajans. So, how did Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur teach taking shelter of? the internal potency of the jivas, like what was his um, 
way of presenting, taking shelter of the internal potency. trying to find the section um, so I don't want to misrepresent um, there's a section here chanting the holy name I know at that time I've heard many uh, native Babaji's would say that there's this Siddha uh, Pinali like a mantra that can, can bring about one's perfection within the internal energy, right? this idea of Siddha Pranali. And they would ask, Srivaksana Thakur, what is, what is our Siddha Pranali? He says, I have already given it to you. Trinadapi Sunichena, Tadorabhasa to be humble like a blade of grass. Right? And in this mood, with this mood of humility, to then chant the Holy Name. So I'll read this, this section. And, and I believe this would, and there, like I said, there can be much more. Uh, I, I, I hardly skim the surface. What he would say, Srila Saraswati Thakur was deeply attached to the holy names of Krishna. Whenever devotees inquired how to improve their bhakti and overcome an artist, he usually stressed the need to chant faithfully and offenselessly. Quoting Lord Chaitanya, Ihai Haipe Sarva Siddhi Haipe Sabra. By this alone, all perfection will come. He advised, chant the Mahamantra loudly and with attachment. This will drive away inertia, worldly ills, and disturbances. He maintained that chanting the Lord's names is tantamount to directly seeing Him. The Lord and His name are one and the same. Chanting the Holy Name is equivalent to directly experiencing Him. He always emphasized Harinam as the topmost sadhana. Quote, To make us wholly devoted to Krishna's name, Sri Gauranga Dev, the combined form of Sri Radha came to this world, but if we disregard his teachings and show no interest in Srinam Seva, we will never attain auspiciousness. Srinam Sankirtan is the best sadhana. If other sadhanas help us in Krishna Sankirtan, then they deserve to be called sadhana. Otherwise, they are simply impediments to sadhana. Sri Krishna Sankirtan is the emperor of sadhanas. It is the only infallible sadhana capable of bringing us to city. Srinam Mahaprabhu did not speak of teaching Archana, but in his Shikshastri, he taught the non-bhajan. Although in Kali Yuga, other limbs of bhakti should be performed, they should be accompanied by bhakti denoted by kirtan. So I, say, I, I, I feel pretty confident in saying that, that definitely one of the uh, main ways Shubhakshana Saraswati Thakur would invite his disciples to take shelter of the internal potency is through Mount Seva, is through this, the chanting of the Holy Name, is through Harikata, it's through hearing about Krishna. Um, in, a, in a regular and, and natural man, manner uh, by which one is not haphazardly jumping from place to place um, but understanding the Siddhanta of who is Krishna, who is Srimati Radharani uh, whereas, whereas one key quality of a lot of times of Sahajas is that they avoid studying the Siddhanta or studying the books 
Shiva Goswami and Prakriti Sahajas in Vrindavan because they say you're just you're a big scholar bookworm. Right? You just have to uh, feel it. But the the experience of of actually chanting the holy name comes from chanting with the proper mood and the, and the proper understanding. Did that answer your question? So it's nine to seven. We can end here. Thank you, devotees. All glories to Sri Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. All glories to Sri Prabhupada. All glories to Sri Bhagavatam. And today uh, we'll be having a Pushpanjali at eleven thirty. Correct? Eleven forty-five. Eleven forty-five. Uh, we will find someone to uh, to organize the flowers and, and get everything out, uh, and then. There will be a, a small feast for the boys, and then, yes. So, uh, take the opportunity to read a little bit about Srila Bhaktivedanta Saraswati because uh, it's definitely worthwhile. I mean, it's completely worthwhile, but it's uh, it's enriching to our devotional life when we can connect with these acharyas. So, okay, Hare Krishna.